You know, maybe you've read a, read a lot of pieces of literature in your day, some great stories that come with twists and turns or favorite movies like Sixth Sense. In the end, it's got a twist you didn't see coming. We're going to be telling some stories from the Bible that maybe are not, well, well, are not very well known. But they talk a lot about expectations and how life brings twists that require us to tweak. Let's talk about expectations for a second. Expectations often need to be tweaked for two reasons. And ultimately, expectations are really about how we feel after what happened happened or what happened didn't happen. So two things that require us to tweak. Number one, we met our expectation. We had goals, we had a BHAG, and we said time plus energy equals results. And that formula has served us well. Except this time, we put the time in, we put the energy in, we got the results, but the feeling didn't last. We thought that feeling would fully and finally satisfy us, and it was nice, but it didn't last very long. So we doubled down. We say, well, next time I'll get twice as much of that appreciation, twice as much of that territory, twice as much about my kids' accolades. And then we get that and we go, wow, we got twice as much this time it didn't satisfy it. And, and there's something going on in our feelings that what we thought, getting married, finishing grad school, having kids, being empty nesters, finally retiring, whatever it is, but it didn't fully and finally satisfy our expectations. The other category that requires us to tweak is when we, or someone we know, someone you're married to, someone you live with, your kids, don't meet your expectations. And usually, when someone else doesn't meet your expectations, you came home, you expected your wife to leave you alone for a while, and she wanted to talk about her day. You came home, you expected your husband to help out around the house, and he instead went out to play with the kids. So what happens typically is when someone else doesn't meet our expectations, we get disappointed and angry and frustrated. And then the human heart has this formula, time plus energy equals results. So we double down on showing our spouse how important we are, right? Oh, we're having a big fight, so we go and we clean up everything in the house, because look how much I do around here. Oh, yeah, I can't do so much around here, and I'm not appreciated, and look, here's another example of why you don't appreciate me. You know? Kids, don't let me see the grandkids, and don't they realize how many times I babysat, and you're just putting more time and more energy in, expecting the results. My time and energy is gonna make other people change. Well, I'll tell you two things that are really hard to control, people and circumstances. But the more time and energy you put in, the more you feel entitled now to them giving you the results of appreciation or respect or support or obedience or whatever it is. And so now you've got the initial disappointment piled on top is a sense of entitlement that they owe you for how hard you work and how much you do around here. Now, I'm not talking about you as much as I'm talking about me. We all do this. And there's three categories of expectations that set us up for failure and set us up for disappointment in success or failure. There's situational ones. A situation occurred. We thought our career was going this good. It's going great, by the way. We just thought it would be greater at this age. We didn't anticipate that bump that would cause this to happen. The second is interpersonal. Between you and a friend, you and a coworker, you and a boss, you and a child. And the third is self-imposed expectations. I thought this would happen by now. It should happen by now. Look how much time and energy I put in by now. It should be there. God owes me. Life owes me. 
So I want you to think to yourself, and if you watch this message later, it actually shows, psychologists have shown that if you actually write out in a journal, it engages your left and right, hand, right side of your brain. Writing out these things help you begin to wrestle with, with what's going on inside you. But just for today, I want you to think of one thing that's causing you frustration or disappointment. And what category is that in? Is it situational? Is it interpersonal or self-imposed? Then I want you to think to yourself on a scale of one to five, is it bearable or is it five very, very painful? And we're going to try and dig down in the next couple weeks as to what's going on beneath the surface that is causing that particular thing and that particular expectation to cause so much angst within us. And how do we tweak those expectations? Because here's what we're going to discover. God is in the business of redefining your and my expectations. And if you're not sure about God, I'll tell you this, life is in the business of redefining your expectations because it always brings a twist to what you thought was going to happen. And God is often uses a twist in your storyline to begin to help you focus on what's going on inside of you because most of the time we're focused on what's going on outside of us. God wants to redefine our expectations to focus on not just what's inside, but what's true about life, not what we wish was true about life. And we need to tweak our expectations for the same reasons, to stop focusing on what's on the outside and focus on the inside, and to start looking at what's true, not what's untrue that we wish were true. So I want to look at three expectation reversals and help hope of all of us learning how to deal with, not medicate, not just get angry, not just doubling down. How do we really reverse some of our expectations? Our first expectation is that life owes me. You might say God owes me, but certainly life owes me, versus a mindset that says I owe life or I owe God. At first glance, you're like, well, I'm not that kind of person. I know people like that. My brother married somebody like that. Or, you know, you've got somebody you can think of who's entitled and who's selfish and angry, but not me. But I want to tell you that if you go beneath the surface, there's a sense of entitlement in all of us. That because I'm a good person and because I did the right thing and because I followed the right rules, I should get good circumstances, good health, obedient children, fill in the blank. And that brings a mindset to life that when you walk into a situation, you think that based on what you've done, and the better you are, by the way, the harder this expectation is to overcome, because you really do believe that your time plus energy equals life owes you results. Versus an expectation that says, I owe God and I owe life. Well, I've got a new day. I've got breath in my lungs. I've got opportunity. I'm living in the freest time in history. What can I do to give back to life and to God? It's a totally different expectation for life. So we find ourselves in the book of Kings. It's an ancient book in the Old Testament. And in this book, the, the main spokesman for God in those days is a guy named Elisha. And we're introduced to a woman, a certain woman who has a tragedy strike her. It says a certain woman, and she was one of the wives, by the way, of the apprentices of the prophets. So think of it like she's a, a, a priest, was training fellow priests, and she's married to one of them. And she comes and cries out to the main spokesman for God, Elijah, and says, your servant, my husband, is dead. Well, that shouldn't happen to somebody who's planning for the ministry and, and trying to help other people and set their sights on, on being about others, right? That person shouldn't die. But it takes another twist. 
And because he's died, the creditors are coming to take my boys and take them into indentured servanthood because they need to pay back my husband's debt. And they're going to be enslaved under bankruptcy law. Now already you've got this short little story with two twists. The husband has died and all of a sudden creditors are coming to take everything she's had. And yet, look what she says in there. My husband feared the Lord. Life owes me. God owes me. This shouldn't happen. It's not supposed to be this way. Right? Haven't you felt that? You've brought certain expectations to life and and you look around, other people get kicked in the teeth, other people have bad things happen. But because you, fill in the blank, worked hard, worked out, you shouldn't have the cancer report, you shouldn't have the whatever it is. For her it was, we fear the Lord, we shouldn't have to put up with this. What are some things you might need to tweak? What are some internal expectations? Let me give you four of them. Things going on maybe beneath the surface as she approaches the circumstance. I think there's a basic belief, especially in our culture, especially in our neighborhoods, that good people should and always do get good circumstances. Now, I want that to be true. I wish I could bottle that and sell that. But I know a lot of good people who have done all the right things and they didn't get good circumstances. But that expectation sets you up for a major disappointment. Another expectation my external problems, the creditor, my, my husband dying, are the most important things in my life right now. Man, that feels true. But is it true? Is what's going on, on the inside more important than this important one? Another expectation we have is if my circumstances were better, I'd feel be, and be better. And then the last one, God and life owe me because... We did a series on the book of Job a couple years ago here at the Exploring Service called In the Wild, about the different animals God used to teach Job. And years ago, 15 years ago, we did a series verse by verse through Job at our equipping service called Phoenix Rising. A good friend of mine, very accomplished business person who could really solve anything, accomplish anything, has a track record that to die for, and he got a terminal medical diagnosis. And I remember him coming to our Job series and saying, for the first time in my life, there's something that's out of my control. And I am seeking answers and seeking God and getting to know what's going on inside of me in a way I never had before. I don't want these circumstances. I wouldn't wish these circumstances. But I'm hoping the book of Job will help me figure out where I'm at. Another woman came to me recently and she said, Chad, I'm giving up my faith. I said, well, tell me about that. She said, well, I just got this medical diagnosis and I sh- it shouldn't happen to me. I, and she gave me the list of all the things she'd done right and the way she worked out and all these different things. And I said, well, tell me, you say you're giving up the faith, the faith in what? That good things should happen to good people. I said, well, maybe it's not all bad that you give up that faith. I'm not sure that particular belief system is going to serve you well. She's what do you mean? I said, well, if anything the Bible teaches is that the one person who did everything right, Jesus, the one person who was truly good, and what did he get out of it? (laughs) Nailed to a cross. So if the one good guy who did everything right got crucifixion, why would you and I think that we're somehow entitled to something that the one good person didn't get? 
Now, I understand none of us want pain or want agony, want difficulty. But she said, you know what? I need to give up. I don't, know, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if, he, if I'm going to reclaim the faith that I had. But you're right. I've got to give up on this belief and expectation because it's just simply not always true. So how about you? Are there any ways in which you feel entitled to life or entitled to God owing you because you've done X, Y, and Z? It's one of the major differences between the gospel, the main message of the Bible, and religion. Religion says, I work hard and God owes me. And then when God doesn't give you what you want, you get really ticked off at God. If you, want, you want to know the most angry people at God? It's not agnostics or atheists. They don't care. It's primarily religious people who did all the right thing and God didn't fulfill his part of the bargain. Those are the angriest people. But the message of Jesus is that God did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He accepts you based on what Jesus did by dying on the cross. And so you... Begin to say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm going to trust that if you died for me, that whatever else you have planned for me, I'm open to. Second expectation reversal. Now we kind of move on with our story. So here's this woman. It's tragedy. Her husband has died. The creditors are showing up. If you asked her, what do I want more than anything? She would probably say, I want my creditors paid off. But here's the mindset change. One mindset is, what does God or life have for me? You walk into a room, who's going to help me advance my career? Who's going to help me get where I need to go? Maybe I can use God if I get a little religious to fix this circumstance or you know, fix my marriage or fix my kids. Another mindset is, what do I have that's going on right now, good and bad, that God or life could use? So look what happens. Elisha turns to this woman who's in grief, She's destitute. And you think, he's, like, he's known for doing some miracles. You think he'd be like, hey, poof, here's some money. But no, look at the twist in the story. Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing! That's what I have in the house. That's the problem, Elisha. What do I have in the house? But he starts with, before I show you what God's going to do, show me what you got. And she says, I have nothing in the house but a little jar of oil. And you might say, listen, I've got a little jar of oil. It's disappointment over what so-and-so did or how such-and-such worked out. And I'm not sure I'm particularly happy at God or life right now, but this is where I'm at. It might be some good stuff or some bad stuff. What is your nothing but? Maybe it's a thing in your life you wish wasn't in your life, you wish you'd remove. And he says, no, I want to use that thing that you want to remove as the source of what I'm going to do. Or maybe you say, you know, I don't have a lot, but I got a jar of oil. God, what do you got for me? Whew. Maybe God wants to use what you think is the worst part of your life, this career change, this disappointment, this this all your goals were met and it didn't fully and finally satisfy, maybe God wants that to be the thing he uses to bring you on a new journey. One of the things we do as a church is we try and take the little things God's given us and give back to our community. All right, one of the ways we do that, one of our nothing buts, is, is hygiene products. As you came in today, you saw our care supply. We work with inter-parish ministries and we take different care supplies and we put those in, in little brown bags and food in blue bags and we help take care of the needs of the community. It's amazing how just using a little bit 
of what we have can bless other people. But what's your any bit? What is that thing you've been disappointed in or angry about or frustrated about that's, that's not meeting the needs that you have that God might want to use? Is it a talent? Is it a skill? Is it a hurt or disappointment in your life that God might want to use to accomplish some amazing thing? I mean, last week was a big week, right? It's a big week for the Bengals. It's a big week for Cincinnati. And, and part of it being a big week was that God used a piece of PVC pipe to change Cincinnati. Did you know that? Did you see the interview with McPherson after he kicked that field goal? He's got a big shirt on. It says, God is good. Remember that? He's got his God is good t-shirt on. And long before he kicked the field goal and brought the Bengals to the field goal, his mom this week put up a picture. And the picture she put on her Instagram account was a little soccer goal with PVC pipe bolted on each side. See, he used to be a soccer player. That's why his kick is so unique. I was a soccer player, so he's got this kind of, you know, soccer instep drive. But then he became interested in football. And so they took the little bitty soccer goal in the backyard and they bolted on, he bolted on two pieces of PVC pipe. And that's where he practiced. Can God use a backyard and a crummy old field goal makeshift PVC pipe that you kick and you kick and you kick? Because years later, that little bitty piece of PVC pipe might set you up to get you into the NFL, which might set you up for a game-winning field goal, which might set you up to go to the Super Bowl. In fact, her mom says they still have that same PVC pipe and soccer goal in their backyard today. I'm reading a book right now called Expectation Hangover. It's not a Christian book, but it's a story of how to wrestle with and overcome expectations. The author, her name is Christine Hassler, she describes a mid-midlife crisis at 25 because she'd accomplished all her goals. She went to L.A., hit the big goals around everybody she needed, working with the who's who. She talked about a a New Year's Eve. She got an actual kiss from George Clooney. She was on top of the world. But at 25, all of the things she thought she was after, all the things she tried to accomplish and did, and yet she felt empty inside. And all of a sudden, her life came with a twist because things were at their, their top of the game, but something inside wasn't fulfilling her. And then her fiancé left her, and then she began to have to look into her own soul and realize that her soul was too deep for all these material things to satisfy. She said that's the time she had her first encounter with God. Oh, she'd heard about him. Other people talked about it. It felt like cliches and bumper stickers. But something about this journey of success and the fact that all her success didn't meet the expectations she thought it would do inside of her that led her to find and search for something more, something deeper. Might it be that accomplishing your goals and it not fully and finally satisfying might be the very thing God wants to use to have you search for something more, something deeper, to get to know a, a side of your soul that you've never gotten to meet? Maybe that's your oil. It's a difference between saying, God, you owe me, life, you owe me, versus what do I have to offer, God? How can you use this stage, this disappointment, this twist to accomplish your purposes? Which brings us to our third expectation reversal. 
And our story, again, just gets more and more interesting because I think for most of us, we come with an expectation that life's job is to fill me up with comfort, with good circumstances, with things I want. And, and who wouldn't want that? Like, I, I understand. That's my expectation. But what if instead you began to discover and even expect that God and life's job or desire or want was to increase your emptiness. Like, well, I don't like this life and I don't want that God. Stay with me. What if increasing your emptiness was actually the road to success? Let me show you what happens in the story. She just told him she has nothing but this little jar of oil. That's it to solve this problem of the creditors. And Elisha says, all right, well, we got a problem here. She says, we got a problem. He says, the problem is you're not empty enough. No, that's not the problem. Whatever the problem is, it's not that I'm not empty enough. That's the problem, he says. So I want you to go to all your neighbors and borrow all the empty pots and pans and vessels you can find. And don't just gather a few, by the way. Visit all the neighbors. I want you to find every pot, every pan, bring it back to your house, and I want you to gather. Tell everybody. It's empty pot time. Increase your emptiness. Find every bit of it that you can. So she does. So a woman who has lost her husband, creditors are pounding on the door, and the prophet of God says, we need to increase your emptiness. Does that make much sense? So she went from him. She shuts the door in their house behind her and her sons, and they brought the vessels to her. And then she takes the little thing she had, and the little thing she had to offer, and she begins to pour it out. And as she pours it out, it's amazing. It fills up a pot ten times the size. And yet there's still oil in the canister. So she fills up another. Still oil in the canister. And she begins to fill up every single canister in her house. In fact, it's not until she fills up the last one that it says, and then the oil ceased. And at that moment, she must have thought to herself, I wish I'd found more emptiness. Because the capacity to be filled up was directly proportionate in the amount of it to how much emptiness there is. And here's what I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about a time you were courageous. I'm not saying it was easy, but you had to face going through a divorce. You had to, had, had to face a merger of two companies that have never been done before, and you had to figure that out. I would propose to you that before you were courageous and you got filled up with courage, you had to face a circumstance that felt very ominous and very empty and very like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do here? That moment of fear, that emptiness you felt, created the circumstance for you to be filled up with supernatural courage. You got any annoying people in your life? I do. And sometimes it's the most annoying people that you have to work with and you have to live with and you got to go to family reunions with. And you find out, man, these people are annoying. And you become 
supernaturally patient because you had to be. Oh, it was a stumbling block to get there. But had you not had these tough circumstances, this tough coworker, that lousy boss, you wouldn't have learned how to be quite so patient but for that empty circumstance. You ever had your team come together? And your team came together in a way they never had before where people's strengths and people leaning on one another. And it was because you face an emptiness of we got to solve a problem that no one has ever solved before. And the emptiness of that challenge and that difficulty made you dig deep and find something in you. Patience, wisdom, courage. Isn't every great piece of art You see, it often comes from a place going through a season of emptiness or challenge or difficulty, and it's in that they dig deep into themselves and find something that comes out. What if what comes out of us, what God wants to develop inside of us, courage and wisdom and strength and grace, what if that's the important stuff? And God wants to fill your life with more emptiness so that he can begin to develop what you really need, what really matters, not better circumstances, though those are nice, to help you become the person you're meant to be. And nothing will do this better than success that doesn't meet your expectations. Jennifer Lawrence was just so honest in describing this. (laughs) She said, you know, I think that everybody had gotten sick of me. I'd gotten sick of me. Just gotten to the point where I couldn't do anything right. If I walked a red carpet, they'd say, why didn't you run? I think that I was people-pleasing for the majority of my life. Working made me feel like nobody could be mad at me. I thought if I worked hard, it would fulfill me. I thought if people liked me, it would fulfill me. I thought if I was on a red carpet, it would fulfill me. She goes on. She says, okay. I said, yes, and we're doing it. Nobody's mad. And then I felt like I reached a point where people were not pleased just by my existence. So that kind of shook me out of my thinking that work or career could bring any kind of peace to your soul. It's not to say work isn't great and career isn't great, but what if that's not the thing that helps you discover real peace for your soul? Will Smith said a very similar one. He talked about back in 2007 when he had a movie, I Am Legend, came out. And oh my goodness, it was a stellar weekend, $77 million weekend. And his manager called to tell him the good news. And he said, I was excited for like 30 seconds. Is how long that feeling lasted. And then my mind drifted and I said to my manager, why do you think we missed 80 million? My manager said, what? It's the biggest opening in history ever. What are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, I get that, but why do you think we missed 80? Could we change up the ending? He says, the first time my manager ever hung up on me. Then he goes on. Here's what he describes. In the middle of his success, he calls it the subtle sickness of material success. It's never enough. You get to the point where even winning is miserable because you got to now top that. And it was the emptiness of success to say, well, there must be something more than just higher numbers and bigger territories, right? So we're going to develop this series in four weeks. I just want to give you four aspects of why would God want you and I to increase our emptiness different mindsets you might want to think about. 
Maybe a bad circumstance has come your way, bad news on the phone. And you've kind of had in your heart this idea of, here we go again, right? Here we go again. Here we go again. What if instead, every time something came your way that had a twist, you tweaked your expectations to say, here we grow again. I'm going to grow through this. I'm going to look deep into me. God's going to bring something. Life's going to bring something out of me that wasn't there before. Here we grow again. I can expect an opportunity to grow. Wouldn't that change some things? What if I came to life and instead of saying, why is this happening to me? I said, I wonder what I'm learning here. What can I learn? What should I learn? What do I need to learn? What if we got more curious? Wouldn't that change your expectations? What if we looked at my ability to impact others with your life rather than what other people in life can do to impact my life? What if the things that really matter are not things at all? What if the things that I need for life and the afterlife are things like courage and love and wisdom and determination? And maybe you saw your career was just on a, on a path like this and something happened and things that you couldn't control or maybe things you did wrong and suddenly, poof, you got humbled. And you're like, I didn't really want any humility. But everybody around you knew you needed it. Everybody. Your spouse has been praying, God, make him humble, make him humble. Your kids, God, make him humble, make him humble. And you're like, no, look, I'm done. But what you needed most is what God wants to develop with this twist in your career or this twist in your expectations. What if the things that matter, courage, love, are the things that fill up those moments of emptiness? So here's my encouragement to you. What does it look like to tweak your expectations? To begin to thank God for the twists and turns in your life because you're saying, I want to start aligning myself to things that are true, not things that I want to be true. I want to start aligning myself to focusing on what God wants to develop on the inside, not always focused on the outside. What if tweaking your expectations means, God, show me where I'm growing, not how it's going. And how might some emptiness in your life be the source for God to fill you up? did a funeral last weekend for some good friends here at the church. And as I was interviewing with the family, they told me about their mom. And for much of her life, she had had a lot of bad habits, pushed a lot of people away with some very bad decisions, and people had really given up on trying to build a relationship. Until she went through her fourth cancer. Fourth cancer? Fourth which she beat, by the way. She was invincible. She beat her fourth cancer. And they said, for some reason, it was the fourth cancer that was painful enough, having pushed everybody away from her life, she finally turned to God. Still determined, still feeling invincible, but for the first time, dependent and looking for answers. So for the last five years, she said, she began to search the Bible and find God. She had verses written all over her journals and all over her notebooks but more than that, she said, her family said she became a different person. She became more fun. She became more joyful. She wasn't quite so arrogant. Her connection with God, the last five years were the best time to be with her as a mom. The best time to see her friendships blossom. Why would God allow not one, not two, not three, but four bouts with cancer? 
Because some of us are stubborn and it takes a lot of emptiness before we get to what matters. God wants to fill us up with light. But often you don't see light until you see darkness. And you don't get filled up fully until you realize you have some emptiness. I think God wants to do that for many of us here today. Let me pray for you. And maybe you want to pray and say, God, I got a lot of expectations. But I need to be filled up with something new. And I'm open to tweak my expectations and invite you to be my light. If your son died on a cross and he was good for me, then I'm willing to expect some difficulty for my life too. Fill me up with your hope and peace. Amen.